All right, here we go. Hey, uh, everybody, I am Matt Hill, and this is the uh, Talking Energy Show. Uh, tell us, uh, well, hello, let's uh, introduce our guest. We have Dave Ramsden Wood. Dave, uh, where are you working at now? Uh, so I just started with Hitachi Venture, Ventura, actually. Um, so it's uh, digital solutions, digital infrastructure. It's more IT consulting. So it's so different. We'll talk about it, but it's, it's, it's been fun because it's, it's like restarting my career. And I feel like a college kid that just got got re released from college uh, and and is starting f at the beginning, which which is fun. Like a second career is is actually pretty fun, and we'll talk about I think why when we get in the in the show. You have a lot of whys. And Robert Hefner is here as well. Uh, man, thank you for coming, buddy. I'm glad you made it. Yeah, it was a close call there for a second. <laughs> yeah, you, mismanaging the time a little bit. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, so uh, what are you doing now? What's your company? Um, I'm all over the place. David and I actually talk quite a bit, mm -hmm. kind of back channel about a lot of different things. And uh, I'm really excited to hear about this new venture for him. Um, it's, it's hard to reinvent yourself, particularly mid-career, right? Um, I've done one thing for so long. I had, I had blinders on. You, you don't look at anything else. And so now all of a sudden that I'm partially running a family office and trying to modernize that situation, you start looking at so much, you realize that the world can be your oyster. And wow, I can't believe I kept blinders on for so long. So um, a little bit, I'm, I'm a few steps behind David in, in that, that search, that soul searching you process. You need to get better shoes. <laughs> yeah, I mean my shoe game is strong. I, I saw it, right? Like, boots, yeah, I mean the boots, the boots are key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the boots are key. Anything with a tiger on it, or a or a dragon, or gold, or yeah, you, oh, you yeah. always have it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then of course Jeremiah, you're following in their footsteps as well. You've reinvented yourself. Recently. Yeah, yeah. What's your new company? Uh, I've actually got two. So Mito Resources started my operating company. Mito Resources. Heck, I've had it for a couple of years, but I've been running it on the side with Trace, uh, and then. I'm uh, Summit Energy Investments too. So okay. another one that's my non-op. So yeah, breaking out of the engineering consulting side to just try operations out. So it's actually my first week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The thirty-first was my last day with Trace. There you said, go. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'll still be hanging be, out with these guys in their studio. Well, thank you guys for all plugging your companies, and of course, I'm going to plug Trace for giving us this space here in uh, Trace Management, the Trace Management Podcast Studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I just really appreciate this uh, ability to come in here with our friends and oh, promote yeah. them. I mean, this is all I want. I want vanilla ice cream commercials for the oil and gas industry to promote my friends are doing something new. All right, Dave, let's get into this. Yeah, these guys aren't vanilla, though. No, no they're not. very, very, very <laughs> yeah, Actually, both of you guys have some, uh, <laughs> some opinions. I'm, I'm ready to hear about them, too, so let's get into it. What are you going to talk about tonight on the at the uh, Oklahoma City uh, Petroleum Landman uh, what is it? OCAPL. OCAPL. Yeah. yeah. Oklahoma so, City so, um, so the, the, the talk is titled The Truth About Energy. And, right. and I don't know that anyone can really like address that topic because it's just too large. But the, the thing that I have the most concern about is across all forms of every piece of media, no matter what you read about, is, is a narrative being pushed to you. And so, you know, I've, I've obviously posted on coronavirus, and I know a lot of the, the, the core readers or the hot take of the day over the last year, like, you know, people are like, stay in your lane, stop talking about coronavirus. But it's like the data is out there. And that, that people aren't looking at it. And so in the truth about energy, we talk about ESG, we talk about virtue signaling, we talk about the fact that CO2 emissions in the United States have actually fallen since 1990. I think we're down 23% in the US and 15% in Europe since about 2005 or vice versa. But importantly, like we're down and China is growing. And so China and India, the amazing thing, I looked at population, we'll talk about that, but, but Asia has 4.3 billion people. Yeah. And the primary power 60 source percent of the world's population, the, world's population. Mm -hmm. and the primary power source is coal. Mm -hmm. And that India and China are the fourth and fifth largest coal reserves in the world. And in 2019, before the election, people forget we were in the trade war. And regardless of your view of, you know, did it originate here? Did it originate there? We know for a fact that China shut down domestic flights out of Wuhan before they shut down international flights. So they knew that they would be able to get whatever that virus was, out to the rest of the world. And quite frankly, then they dictated the lockdowns, which is not something you would do in a, in a free country. And so, like, from a narrative standpoint, of course China and India are going to rely on coal. That's why they're building 350 new coal-fired plants while we're trying to shut down the ones that we have. We're shutting down Indian Point, the nuclear reactor in, mm -hmm. in New York. We're shutting down Diablo in 2025 in California. And so, so yeah, I mean, every energy forum has a trade-off. But if we really cared about CO2... The U.S. would be investing in wind and solar in China, 
where they make the solar panels, and we would have them take that with our money instead of building coal plants and give them preferential return. If that's what this was really about, that's what we would do. And then ship the energy over to us. Or or they can just use it for themselves. If I cared so much about my trees back here, then man, I should have everybody ship me energy and not make it here. So So I have a stat stat that just shows that I think the U.S. is 30... I have to remember the, the exact number, but it's it's like the average household uses 12,000 kilowatt hours per year. Um, and, and in India and China, it's it's like less than 1,000, mm-hmm. right? Like a third of the world uses less than 1,000 kilowatt hours. Bill Tiffy and, uh, I mean, uh, Colby Tiffy and Bill Shanahan were in here the other day, and they were saying the same thing, like, hey, uh, this refrigerator I have in my house uses more energy than most people use in a year. Is, is so, China still an emerging economy? You know? it, it is. It is. Paris so, Accords. That, that is like I, a, I can challenge really, that one if you I want to. No, it, okay. It's a curious question because it really popped up in the yeah. 60s and started blowing up overnight because yeah. we outsourced everything to it. Is it still an emerging economy? Should we treat it that way? I say no. It's not an emerging economy. If you look at, if you look at wealth studied through GDP right, and compare birth rates, during China's one-child policy, their average birth rate was three per woman. Well, that's not one birth, right? They were growing dramatically during that time. And then now you're, they're, they're equivalent to the United States in many respects at one point, whatever, or bumping two children per woman. So if you look at wealth to GDP, or wealth as GDP versus birth rate, which it, there's a direct correlation between number of children and the richer you are, the less children you're going to have. Mm-hmm. They're now at parity with the United States and other developed economies, meanwhile churning out more GDP than really anybody else, particularly with manufacturing and growing significantly through coal. So I think there's a really good statement to say that we need to readjust how we view the world. I think it's a really astute question. Are th- I don't think they're an emerging economy anymore. But under the Paris Accord, they're excluded until 2030, as is yeah. India. Absolutely. And okay. so, so and, and I mean, there's some wonderful books on it, I, I think, Unsettled um, by Steve Coonan. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. just recently published it. He used to be uh, in the Obama administration. I think he was energy secretary, is my recollection. Yep. But, I mean, he talks about the science and the math. And, you know, the Heritage Foundation has written some papers about this, too. And the, the EPA uses three models, one of which is so sensitive to the discount rate that you choose that it basically, in, in the Heritage Foundation's uh, view, makes the model unusable. A lot of the left is not like that. No, I mean, and, and like, <laughs> so, they so have real numbers. Yeah. And, and so the, the truth about energy is that it's not going anywhere. And that, as you said, China has, we've outsourced all our manufacturing to China so that even though the U S over the last really 20 years, hasn't grown electricity consumption, mm-hmm. it's because a more fuel efficient and more efficient in generation, but B we've offshored a lot of our manufacturing so that, you know, Ohio is using less, Pennsylvania is using less like these, these steel right. manufacturing core, core jobs. And so we, we just need to talk about it. I, I don't have a solution because as long as the well, narrative what is... What can we do to bring back? We can just talk. I mean, it's the same thing. I asked this question. I, I gave a speech this morning to Chesapeake Land, Land Group at their campus. Beautiful campus. I mean, oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing to see what Aubrey has done to Oklahoma City and for Oklahoma City and that his, his ability to grab the microphone and talk about natural gas at a time when no one was talking about it really changed the way that we viewed natural gas. Oh, we're now, all here right now in this room because of yeah. him. But he, I mean, he used Greenpeace and he wanted to, I was cool. I mean, like, if you think about it, these are tactics used by business people. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'll use this. I, I had a, a guy on the podcast. Um, he worked at Whole Foods uh, during the pandemic. He's an author, wrote a book. But so Whole Foods is owned by Amazon. Mm-hmm. So does Amazon have an incentive to move all their rich customers online to order their groceries for delivery because sure. they have it? So wouldn't you want to make the Amazon buying experience as horrible as you could during the pandemic? Because all the rich customers are then going to go to your website and buy from there, which then allows you to totally control the narrative. And people forget that these companies, like Google stock doubled Mm -hmm. since last year. You think Google wants people going back to the office? No. So of course, they're one of the first companies in the country to come forward and say they're mandating vaccinations for all their employees. So the government is doing public policy work through private companies, knowing that if they take the income away from that person, they can't last three years while they sue Google. So you're going to have most people get the shot or or we're going to create the second class citizen of people who wear masks and get bullied and mm-hmm. after we've done these diversity and inclusion training and harassment training <laughs> and workplace like all these things and all of a sudden it's like grab the stones get the unvaccinated guy and so all of this is energy policy That's and it's I've been data every day i'm really fast now we're just not we're just not talking about it so that so that was the point about the chesapeake i asked how many children under 18 in the country have died of covid there's 74 million how many died in the last 18 months do you guys know the answer Oh gosh, it's got to be 300 
and 77. Were they pre, pre-existing conditions? All but one. Yeah. Dr. Marty Macari came out with that. And so everyone's leukemia and mm-hmm. obesity and well, pick your thing. So one out of 74 million, even if you go 377 out of 74 million, and we're trying to force vaccinations to kids under 18, what is the, what is the rush? Yeah. There, is no, there is no impetus for this. But again, so truth about energy, truth about life is there's data out there and the headlines are wrong. Walmart, I bet you saw this yesterday. Walmart said that all employees are going to be vaccinated. That was the headline. Now you read it, all corporate employees are going to be vaccinated. That's 17,000 in Arkansas. There's 265 million worldwide customers that go into a Walmart each week. So who do they interact with? The employees. If they really cared about COVID, they would get their employees vaccinated in the stores. So the virtue signal. But they won't because the unemployment rate is 5.9% and the unvaccinated percentage in the country is 30%. (laughs) So they're trying to manipulate data to encourage a behavior without actually acknowledging what's going on. So that's what the speech is brought to The greeter did hand me a mask when I walked in today and I said, thank you. And I just kept it and put it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what a... You know, I saw that when we were talking about the the uh, population, I saw the oil price article. It says our population in the world is shrinking. Mm-mm. If you go to worldometer dot yeah. worldometer dot com, one of our well, what about one of our own first industry world countries, magazine. Though, such as the United States and Japan, that is our true. Birth it rates said, are it off, said but, oil yeah. and gas industry should be worried because the population is shrinking. I'm like, no. what in the world are they publishing? I mean, Man, yeah. it is hard to filter. If anybody's out there watching this. Uh, Tune in. We're going to tell you as much truth as possible. We are not filtering this on our bias. It's crazy what's out there. Even our own publications, like Oil Price Magazine. Who wrote that? I have no idea. I can't like, wait. That person needs to be Oil fired. Price Magazine came out with an article <laughs> I mean, that said that our population is so shrinking and we should watch out for oil and gas. So, it's unbelievable. Even the IEA says the exact opposite. And to a point earlier made about electricity being more efficient, Javon's paradox states the exact opposite about energy consumption. The more energy efficient you become, the more energy you use, not less. That's a hard concept for people to wrap their minds around. If you talk about populations, um, there are 2 billion children under the age of 15, I think it is, in the world today. How many will there be in 2100? The answer is 2 billion. No change. Why, Why is the population then growing, not shrinking because of the birth rate? It's because we're living longer, longer. dramatically because longer. Because because of oil and gas. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cleaner air. I mean, that's for sure. Well, I mean, um, we're, we're able to shield ourselves from uh, sources that we sure. normally wouldn't have been able to control back in the day. But that is the most absurd thing I've heard in a long time. So I, I pulled it up. And again, for listeners, if you want to look at data, go to worldometer.info. And it's a great site that has births, deaths, hurricanes, water use, oil use, all the things, plus coronavirus stats. But so far this year, there have been 228,000 births. Uh, sorry, so far today, there's been 228,000 births. Um, this year, there's been 81 million births, and the net population growth year to date is 47 million people. And so we're roughly halfway through the year, so we're adding roughly 100 million people. It's why we're currently at uh, 7.883 billion people, and we're projected to be 9 billion by 2050. So again, if everybody needs cheap, affordable, reliable energy. energy. Absolutely. And, and if we're going to have the conversation about energy, I want to have the conversation about scarcity. Because what I, again, it won't impact our lives, but say 300 years, 400 years, you'll run out of oil, coal, whatever. If that's the conversation, then that's a conversation. But this whole conversation around CO2 is, is again, the evidence shows that it is not about CO2. It's about the Green New Deal proposes $3 trillion of new investment. Manufacturers and companies make a 30% margin all the way up the value chain from the mining of it to the construction of it to the installation of it and of your electricity. Yeah, but that money's not going here to the U.S., even if it is, like think about this power and distribution, 90% of your electricity bill is the distribution and transmission. Yeah. And so it's not like they're putting solar or, or gas turbines or whatever near existing transmission lines because they're guaranteed a fixed rate of return if you're a utility. So the more capital you spend, the more money your shareholders make. Now, that's just the facts. And so the fact that we can't see through the narrative that's being pumped and that it's not about global warming or climate change or CO2 or water, it's about money. So that's the speech. The money transfer to people. It's hard to not be cynical. I think, every, I think everybody in this room is very positive about the oil and gas future. I mean, we wouldn't still be looking to do it. You'd, yeah, we but, would have pivoted and gone someplace else. But if you listen to the else. underlying comment here, it's the belief that corporations are so greedy and so messed up that they're willing to make life harder to drive you to their online business. Mm-hmm. To 
then line their pockets further and hurt the consumer. It's all about hurting the consumer at the end of the day, really. No, yeah. if, if you get into that skeptical mindset, yeah. which you, is easy to do with some of the things that have been stated so far. Well, yeah, I and I say... thought about this morning that it's, it's more, I just want to promote my company and our, our, <laughs> our gadgetry, right? And so, I mean, is it really greed or is it just like self-promotion because you're proud? I think greed is good to an extent. Like greed I really believe good. greed is necessary for capitalism. Granted, I don't. I would argue we don't live in a capitalist society anymore either, though. Concur. Like yes. you, yeah, yeah. That's that's a fact. But but so I concur. Greed, greed, of course, is good. And in strategy one hundred and one, if you're Google, and and you see what's going on, and your profit is up and your stock is up, let's let's take Moderna. Mm-hmm. Moderna, their chief medical officer, between the February of twenty twenty and February of twenty twenty one, sold almost a million dollars of stock per week, sold $50 million worth of stock so that at the end of February of 2021, he had no stock left, okay? This is the chief medical officer. <laughs> Look at it this way. Moderna had never produced a commercially produced vaccine prior to this, yet was included in Fauci's discussions in December. This year, 90% of the $20 billion of revenue it projects, that's $18 billion, is coming from a vaccine. Now, their stock is up 1,300%. So walk me through why Moderna wants people to sure. not be afraid. Well, let's talk. Well, you forgot to mention the big other part. Uh, they can't be sued. They can't. <laughs> they no can't be sued, and their profit yeah. margin is huge. Because so it was a presidential uh, well, it's an emergency order. Emergency, emergency order, order yeah. through the FDA. Yeah. 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 And so, so, wow. so, like again, is greed good? I mean, perhaps, but but when you have a, a fixed market, and then Dr. Scott Gottlieb, people forget this. If you watch CNBC, you will have seen Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who used to be the head of the FDA. He's on the board of Pfizer. Mm-hmm. 25% of Pfizer's revenue this year is coming from the vaccine, and they're getting a high 20s rate of return on that. Yeah. So then he's out there telling us how scared we should be of every variant. And oh, by the way, the CDC and FDA haven't approved booster shots. But you know it's coming. Biden just ordered 200 yep. million more yep. Moderna vaccines. Well, because there's going to be a new variant each month. They, every six months. 2023. Exist, you, need, you need boosters you to keep boosters. your revenue up, to keep your stock up. So, so the problem is the lack of oversight from government. Sure. And and well, the they're government, in collusion with it, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, that's a conflict. That's a, yeah, that's a greed, conflict. Greed is a problem if the government's invested in it too, right? They're they're part of the problem with this. They're supposed to be the regulatory backstop to looking out for the consumer. If they're you're, not. If you're Google, if you're Google, how much would you go to the government and say, "Hey, we'll be the first company to mandate vaccines amongst our employees if you don't go after us because of Section two hundred and thirty mm-hmm. and don't regulate us?" And so, is it any surprise that that uh, Facebook fell right in line afterwards? NFL. Is two thirty out uh, out of the conversation now? I mean, has anyone talked about it in the last two months? No. I mean, it's it's totally gone. And and yet, you know, I I posted on LinkedIn about a thirteen year old who died after oh, getting man. the vaccine. Now, this is a tragedy. And and the amazing thing is, under COVID rules, if you had tested positive for COVID and died within sixty days of release from hospital or thirty days of a positive test, is my recollection. But it is definitely thirty and sixty. It was coded as a COVID death. Mm-hmm. So so there were there was a murder-suicide in Grand County in Colorado that they'd had COVID and it was initially coded as a COVID death. There was a motorcycle accident in Florida that was coded as a COVID death. And yet, I've seen people, this this boy got the second vaccine, 13 years old, died, and they say, we can't prove that it was that it was the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Well, apply the same rules, 30 days, 60 days, whatever. There's people, I have a friend uh, who's, whose neighbor, the husband got it, he's been, he's unable to walk for the last month. Again, I'm not trying to point to like outlier stories as the reason. What I'm pointing to outlier stories at is they're not being discussed in the media. They're being censored. And my point was LinkedIn brought down that post. Yeah. yeah I had 10,000 views. Oh, if you post anything about COVID that doesn't promote their agenda, it's probably going to be Well, it's cancel culture at its finest, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just for asking tough. a question. It's tough. And that's... So, truth about energy. You got we kicked off it. of LinkedIn before too, by the way. I did. Yeah. We, we need energy massively. Carbon is going up. If we want to... Like, we are climate change. We cut down trees to build houses. We live in environments that are minus 30. If we didn't do those things, like there was in the Black Plague times in 1350, there were 150 million people on planet Earth. That's all it could support. And all the evidence shows higher CO2 creates more plant life. So so if we're feeding a growing planet, like having a longer growing season with more plant life and more agriculture is a good thing. But God forbid that you should say that carbon (laughs) is is not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I'll, I'll kind of confirm with a story. A friend of mine from Fargo, North Dakota, wildly successful at a young age. He got into real estate, did some REITs, bought out all his investors, then got into you know um, storage units. Made I don't know twenty five million by age thirty. Moved to Phoenix, Arizona from Fargo, and he kind of splits time there. Well, they own a bunch. He comes from a farming family, and now all of a sudden they're planting crops that they've never planted before in Fargo, North Dakota, on their thousands of acres. 
because it wouldn't have grown before. Warming has helped them be able to plant new agriculture, new crops that are wonderful for their soil, and their their yields are going up dramatically. So, wow. I mean, it, it, it definitely plays so in. So that's good for capitalism, but let's talk about the other side of that. What about polar bear? That is a lie. You don't go, think the polar bears are losing? Go, their no, go look it up. They did a follow-up on YouTube, a bunch of other stuff. That They used that polar bear as like the quintessential, I think it was Time Magazine, if I remember mm-hmm. right, that ran that YouTube ad, and it was like, oh my God, look at this starving polar bear. Well, you follow up on that entire story. Polar, bear, polar bears are actually thriving in that very spot where they filmed that starving polar bear. It's a straight-up lie, misinformation, and, and propaganda machine. Yeah, Greg, Greg Redstone, he uses that. That one in Does Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, so, and Greg had done a post on, on uh, polar bears about February of this year, and, and that post was also taken down. But, you know, uh, Bjorn Lambert, who wrote uh, False Emergency? Yep. Uh, false Alarm. Is, well, false Alarm? False, false Alarm. alarm. False Alarm. Um, he, he talks about the, 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 the rhetoric is that hurricanes are increasing. When, not when at in fact all. They're not, and and even in wildfires, you can see numerically that there are less. But also, we're yep. building, like in California, we're building houses in areas that shouldn't be that were not previously with humans. Get wildfires, and then we have to run electric lines to them, which start fires, and then the forest maintenance. <laughs> Again, there's lots of reasons, but but like everything is, you know, my pants don't fit because of climate change. Yeah. My, <laughs> you know, I like bourbon because of climate change. Whatever it is, you can just attribute it's snowing because of climate change. I mean. It's it's again which it just in, happened in, in Brazil. Yeah, during they're harvesting wheat in Brazil and it's freaking snowing, literally so, last week. And you don't hear about that, do you? And and hey, guess what? Brazil is booming in oil and gas right now. They're yeah. they're going toward. I mean, they're doing their best to Israel. There's lots of countries out there that are trying to become oil and gas, you know, countries like Brazil, Israel. You know, announced that too. They're like, we want to be oil and gas. We want to be leaders. What can we do? We're sitting here in this room. Man, we, you all have huge audiences. What can you tell people to bring them back into the fold? And, you know, all the people that are the disagree with your opinion right now, like what can we explain to them? Say, hey, guys, there's there's no climate emergency. There's, you know, don't go don't go get the jab. Uh, well, so so I would I, I want to. I so there's two maybe. things I would say up to you. I don't think it's don't go get the jab. I think everyone should make their personal decision based on the freedom to make that decision because we don't earn, we don't just by virtue of living in the United States we don't earn the right to be the greatest country on the planet. We we got that right because we a fought for our freedoms, b we codified our freedoms, and c we have access to natural resources that keep our unemployment rate low. I drove a person that I won't disclose um, Uber, Uber, and and I'm they were from Ghana. They were from Ghana, Uber drove. and and the 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 conversation that was had around being from Ghana, and and the life that you get if you're born mm-hmm. in Ghana, just the existence of being born there versus what we have in the U.S. and and we're trying to tear down everything when our population is 335 million, Asia's is 4.2 billion, and mm-hmm. every one of them wants to live like we do, we do here. They mm-hmm. send their kids to college here, and then. And we don't even have work visa programs for the people that come here so that students have to work under the table jobs and get driven by an Uber driver because they can't go back to Ghana. And instead, we send them right back from Harvard back to China mm-hmm. and, and they're trying to live like us. So what are, we, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're electing people that have created crap policy and they're crap leaders. I mean, that's, that's So you're it. saying you love baby boomers. Oh, man. <laughs> so would you say... Sorry, I had to throw that one in there. Do you, are there adverse effects to what we're doing? Absolutely. Of course there are. Absolutely. No question. Absolutely. Okay. So, but your argument is it outweighs the good, uh, the success of society. The, 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 the existence of society is a trade-off. And, and we, we have built over thousands of years the society we have. And no matter what it is. So wind and solar is a perfect example, right? After 20 years, solar panels have to be recycled. The rare earth minerals that are in solar panels and the amount of energy, like to make a solar panel, you need an electric arc furnace. Sounds like a lot of electricity, and it is. Most of them are manufactured in China. Most of the rare earth minerals that, that go into those are in China. And so we're, everything has trade-offs, even solar, even wind. So, so I'm an all-energy guy. We, we need energy for the planet. And if we really want to have a conversation about this, it's about consumption. 
and no one wants to consume half. Right. I don't want to consume less. I really like what I do every day. Everyone does. And I mean, and think about the car companies, right? Everyone's complaining because you can't get new cars, but everyone, for the most part, has a car. I've driven Why can't you drive your suck. car for 25 years? Mm-hmm. Because we've been trained that we need a new car every yeah, three years. Mm-hmm. And and so then then all of those things go in the landfills. And a Chevy no, Bolt is $48,000. They go down from here. They're always towed behind somebody and they go to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, great cars. So, so are there trade-offs? Yes. To build the, the society that we have, we have climate changed everywhere. We've built houses. We've changed cities. I mean, Houston, of course, there's flooding. Look at all, all the concrete. Sure. And if you look at the studies, the glass and concrete of cities make the ambient temperature in a city 10 degrees higher than the surrounding areas. And so when we're looking and we're measuring temperatures around New York City and we're comparing it to 1900, well, have you seen the city? You know, Houston floods. Like the whole city is a swamp More that is tornadoes. paved. So, of course, we see <laughs> Not a while. these effects. So, yes. Are there impacts? Yes. Will we make trade-offs? No. Is wind and solar the answer? Absolutely not. Oh, so we, gosh. It's just... We, we are just, they not the answer today or ever? Like, solar may have some... I, I know the efficiency of solar <laughs> yes. is like 20-something percent. It's very inefficient right now. But we're almost at the peak. As I understand it and solar. read it, we're, we're very close to peak efficiency Th- There's about solar. 10% more to gain on that. And so we've gone from 10 15% all the way to 25% out of 33% maximum How many acres capacity? would we have to blanket... I'll give you, I'll give you, I know those numbers (laughs) and it's measured in Watts per square meter. Um, you know, Bill Gates put this out through his research. So Watts per square meter, right? How much energy can you get from the amount of land you're going to use? That answer for wind for wind is maximum of two. It's a range between one to two Watts per square meter. The answer for solar is up to 10. Your answer for natural gas is 20,000. Your answer for nuclear is 10,000, actually, even though it has a oh, higher yeah, energy nu- density. Yeah, nuclear is definitely a great density. Um, and so th- that's your answer, very specifically. Mm-hmm. You, if you extrapolate that and you wanted to do, which is not possible, by the way, but if you want to do 100% uh, wind and solar in this country, it would take the, and I put this out, um, I think it's the cover the entire state of California, New York, and Vermont in wind and solar, the entire state's. In order to make that a reality, due to that lack of energy, the energy disparate nature. So basically, of those I need energies. my own house and my neighbor's house and a couple more houses covered in solar panels just for what I use. Plus, I need a couple windmills just for what I use. Maybe. Yeah. I'm, yeah. He quoted twelve thousand. Uh, was it twelve thousand watts yeah, earlier? 12, as the average home. I'm at five thousand, which made me pretty happy You're on a monthly basis. Uh, that makes me feel better about myself yeah. a little bit. But you know, at the end of the day, it's. It's a function of how, why are people investing in these things? And the answer is money. I had a rooftop solar deal in Massachusetts proposed to me as an investor. The answer is I'm spending $2.92 per, I think it's per watt, but it, might, it was actually per kilowatt the way that they sent it. Well, nobody would invest in that. You lose money. Why would I as an investor invest in that? The answer is all of the subsidies yeah. that you get. Day one on a $1.3 million investment for this specific one, I get to write off about $300,000 in subsidies. I get... 250,000 in section 179 and then I get another 250 or so thousand dollars in additional write-offs so day one I'm writing off about 750,000 out of 1.3 million dollar investment and even though it loses money over time I'm able to generate a nine percent unlevered return built in guaranteed by the government on a 25 year they're picking uh, winners and losers with that well it's it's just that's why you're investing in these things No, no rational person that's not an investor that's rich would do that. No one, quite literally. But that's happening all over our country due to these subsidies. And so what nobody, in my view, David, talks about is what is the subsidy? And I'm going to define that for a second as the way that the EIA defines a subsidy. Because technically a subsidy is the amount of cash given to you. Not a single person in this oil and gas business has ever received cash for what they do. Not one of us has received a subsidy. But the way that the EIA, unfortunately, decided to change that is to include tax incentives and tax write-offs. So I'm using that definition. If you look at the amount of subsidies per fuel, it's absurd. And it's all, again, back to energy density, and that's all that really matters. So to answer your earlier question, from my view, are we going the wrong direction? Yes. We are making our country a democracy, a democratic republic, and increasingly maybe socialistic, but we're making our country dependent upon one country that controls the entire extraction and processing of all wind, solar, and batteries in the world, and that is China. A not-democracy, an authoritative, authoritarian government, and call it what you want, whether it's socialist or communist, it's kind of a weird blend. 
But no matter that, we are making ourselves reliant upon an adversary at best and an actual enemy at worst. Why? Why, why as Americans are we willing to do that when we have fuels with energy density that are clean as can be, like natural gas to begin? And why are we not talking about the only other two fuels that matter in this entire argument of primary fuels? Because no society, not one in the history of the world, has ever adopted a more energy disparate fuel than its predecessor. Wind and solar are, are not in that category by comparison to coal. Natural gas is. It's twice as energy dense, roughly, as oil, which is roughly twice as energy dense as, as coal. But really, it's hydrogen and nuclear. Mm -hmm. And a fun little tidbit, I followed the money through a bunch of anecdotes in a book from Michael Schellenberger. Um, you know who actually killed nuclear in the 70s? You know who actually doubled the capacity of coal in the 70s? The Sierra Club. Good job, Sierra Club. So the, the people that are demonizing us are the ones that are the reason that we have so much coal in this country to begin with today. Great. But they're never going to take responsibility of that. So, we're, yeah, why are, we, why are we making ourselves reliant upon something that we don't have? We don't have critical minerals. And it's more than just uh, rare earth minerals. It's actually critical minerals, right, which is a little bit more inclusive. 25 out of the 37 included on, on our United States report were reliant upon for China. And it's all wind, solar, and battery. Terrifying. One hydrogen uh, salt dome, so talking geology for oil and gas people, salt dome, you know, you can, you can store hydrogen in that. They've done that in Utah. The, the storage that exists today in energy content in that one salt dome in Utah equals more energy content than all batteries in the rest of the United States combined. Yep. We need to be talking about nuclear. We need to be talking about hydrogen as our energy future. Where are we going to get – Where how are we going to produce hydrogen in Oklahoma? I'm on – Every sub subcommittee yep. for the hydrogen task force for the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, I saw that. You, you're a part of that? I, I'm not on the task force, but I'm part of the subcommittees. Yeah. How can oil and gas companies help? Well, if you look at hydrogen very specifically, it requires every, it has, it's even segmented between upstream, midstream, and downstream. The synergies with the history of an oil and gas firm transfer very well. You want to repurpose the oil and gas industry for something in the future? It's, a very, it's almost a synonymous industry. And there's only four states, in my view, that can actually do it because you have to have an absurd amount of infrastructure, but it already exists. We have all the pipelines we need. You repurpose them for hydrogen, and you can move every bit of energy you need to move. Um, we have that capability in this state. And people talk about green hydrogen. They can talk about it all they want, but it makes up less than 1% of all hydrogen. It's really blue hydrogen that we're talking about, which is natural gas which derived. Is, which is, again, which is crazy. Why are we taking the natural gas, 99% of it makes hydrogen, like 99% yeah. of the world's hydrogen supplies are from natural gas, yeah. and you're just creating a gas that you're going to burn. And so, like, so, so by definition, like, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, so the question that you asked was, you know, is it not for now or not for later? Again, at some point, everything runs out. And, and so we need energy sources, whatever those are. And, and we need to be extremely efficient on them. And, and I don't like that the, sometimes these conversations, they sound like we're trying to vilify wind and solar just to vilify. To me, it's just that their, their actual true cost is not reflected in the, in the cost that consumer sees and that the narrative is being all. driven totally differently. Yeah, but so, I think the narrative is hurting us yeah, but, as a country. Let's so talk about I'm not the efficiency I mean, of vilifying it. themselves. And we're, we're vilifying. The yeah. was poor at first, but it yeah. got better. So should we not be investing in these technologies to, for the evolution of them? Uh, we absolutely should. But Agreed. It, 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 took the oil and gas, it took combustion engines 100 years to get to their level of efficiency now. Yeah, but I think there was a lot of protectionism there, right? And, and there, there may very well have been. But protectionism well, of not yeah. wanting to change the way you manufacture cars is, is, again— well, is let, a, let's, let's not skip over—it's not even an anecdote. Electric vehicles at the turn of the century, that, so in 1900, were over 90% of the market share. Right. It, there's no protectionism when 90% of the market share is electric vehicles. I'm talking about the efficiency vehicles. of the, the internal combustion engine. Yeah, but it would have been efficiency with electric – efficiency in general, right? It's just the internal combustion engine happened to win. It was the better product that people wanted. The consumer wanted it. Faster, Nobody, it, it's, longer trips. It's not necessarily, I don't think, in protectionism around it. It's just, yeah, we, we, we forced fuel efficiency over time. If that – if the electric vehicle at the turn of the century would have won out over the internal combustion engine. I think you could have, you would have been able to make the same argument that there was protectionism around the electric vehicle in increasing its range, for example. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, just, it's not necessarily a disagreement there, just some context. I mean, I think your point is absolutely correct. Yeah. Do things over time get better? Yes. But by the same token, then why aren't we investing in nuclear? 
where there's, sure. where there's only two <laughs> facilities being built. And everyone says, you know, look at Vogel in, yeah, in Georgia. Yeah. It's $26 billion to build 2,000 megawatts. So it's 13,000 per, per uh, megawatt. Um, 10 years. Yeah, I mean, massive. And so, but the same argument that they made for wind and solar is the same one that we should be making for nuclear. On what small scale could you be doing that? Because again, the world <laughs> needs energy. Natural, like combustion efficiency was a consumer-led thing. This is, this is a, my challenge with it is it's a government-led thing, led thing that is hiding the actual cost mm -hmm. of it. And so through, through supply, through, cost of through domain, like we need batteries. And so uh, let's use the Texas um, polar vortex from February 11th to 15th. You know, of course, Bloomberg came out February 16th and said, wind is not to blame for what happened. Now, Bloomberg is owned by Michael Bloomberg, right. the $50 billion guy who ran for president of the United States on an anti-fossil fuel platform. And his newspaper wrote that wind was not to blame. Yet when you look at the data, again, if wind doesn't blow, no matter how much electricity you need, you cannot create it. If the sun is not shining, you cannot create it. And so we know that natural gas picked up all of the load now, were there failures? Absolutely. ERCOT shut off ESPs. They shut off pumping units so that you couldn't produce those wells. So we lost it. Then they froze. There was a huge number of errors. But without natural gas and the ability to turn something on and turn something off, the, the country doesn't have power. And swing that, producer. Excellent. Yeah, there's no way around it. Natural gas was a great swing producer in that. And, and will always have to sure. be unless we have That's batteries. And so, so, again, the technology that you're talking about, the EIA said in their recent report that the technology that we need does not exist yet <laughs> mm -hmm. to move John to Kerry wind and solar. And so everyone is talking about, you know, it's like chips and we'll always get better in technology and technology. There are limits to technology sure. and efficiency. And, and we're pretty good as a, as a country in terms of getting to efficiency faster now. Like, mm -hmm. look at how fast data moves today versus – in 1920. Mm -hmm. Well, so, your company is a leader in that right now. I mean, you're yeah. you're working with energy companies to make everything that they do faster, better, stronger. I think I think this is something that would probably uh, instigate a pretty good conversation, though. And I kind of brought it up last week, but it's BHP. BHP. It's rumored that they're going to start selling all their oil and gas assets, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and Shell as well. Two, yeah, and two billion dollars in revenue alone for BHP and Shell. Yeah, because they're getting pressured from the Netherlands, yeah. right? So BHP, and it came out, uh, maybe it was some conjecture on it. I read the, I had Bloomberg, and my wife got me Bloomberg, and then I was like, oh, I would have rather had The Economist, right? I don't want to give money to Michael Bloomberg, but I am now a paid <laughs> subscriber to Bloomberg. Next girl, year. she just can't ever win with you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so BHP you, came out yeah. and said, we, we need to sell now because we don't want to be left holding the bag in 10 years. Is there an argument for that? Like uh, if they're too big, so they need to sell this for a premium, but now you got banks pulling out and saying, you know, they've got activist investors too saying that they're not no longer going to allow them to invest mm -hmm. in oil and gas assets. Mm -hmm. So uh, so BHP is now considering selling off their stuff right now because they're worried there won't be a market for it in 10 years. And I worry about that. When I think about it, I'm like, well, if you can't get any banks to loan you the money, you're going to be relying on, on a lot of private equity and whatnot to get funded to buy or, these. Or production. you got to have enough so oils running. where's the market at in 10 years? Is it is it is this going to be bad for a long time? Like, is oil and gas on the way out? or do you... I, coal, coal is still here. Yeah. I, um, and coal is still, as I, I need to confirm the numbers, so I won't say them. Coal coal is still very strong. and, and, I'll, and I'll give them to you. Yeah, glo globally, is coal production up or down in the last 10 years? So the, the answer there, and this is directionally correct, probably almost fully accurate. But in 1980, the global share of coal for, for power was 82% or something like that. Wow. It, it's still roughly the same. We haven't moved. If anything, we've gone up. And so... People talk about an energy transition, which I think is really what your question is about. Well, what are we transitioning it, when the actual numbers tell you that we're not transitioning at and all? And you can't, yeah. So I, I think it's an improper framing of the discussion to call it a transition to begin with, mostly because it's probably more of a reordering of energy systems than it is a actual transition. And when you transition, you have to transition to a primary fuel not secondary fuels, which by nature wind and solar are. So what are you actually, what are we talking about when we say transition? And I've started asking myself that, and I think it's a better, it's a, it's a good question to be asking in this context. But that those are roughly the numbers, yeah. David. And, and so, but, but you're asking, where does oil and gas go? I mean, it, it goes nowhere because fundamentally, as long as we continue to get richer as a world and population continues to grow, and we don't change consumer habits. We're going to need more electricity. Even the electrification of the grid, where we turn... The, the U.S. has 20 million barrels a day of oil consumption, of which 70% is in transportation. Now, we know that the, the weight of batteries on an airplane <laughs> don't make it possible for commercial air travel. And the same thing for trucks. You can't have enough batteries to move trucks. So, But 70% but of transportation 
uh, of oil consumption is transportation. So if you're going to take 10 million barrels a day of oil and convert that into electricity, that's a massive wind and solar again, won't pick up that load. And so you have to expand natural gas. So will oil continue to play a massive role in the world? Absolutely. And especially if there's no demand for it in prices, like if it's two bucks a gallon, I, I talked to a, a friend today has the best analogy ever. How much would you pay to go 27 miles with 2,000 pounds of your stuff? Because the answer is, right now you can pay $4 and do that, right? <laughs> I mean, and that, that's an incredible, if you want to go 27 miles, you could get a bike, but how are you going to pull 27,000 miles? So, you know, th that is the power of gasoline. Mm -hmm. $4 gets you 27 miles with 2,000 pounds. I can go to Austin, Texas today and visit my brother and talk about these same things that he argues with me with because he's a liberal in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't think it's going anywhere. I think BHP, and this is the this is the fallacy. Shell is I'll use Shell as a better example. They're going to sell their Permian asset to Devin, I hope, uh, to somebody. Come on, Devin, um, and it's going to be ten billion dollars, and they're going to reduce their CO two emissions. Yeah. But the net CO two emissions are not changing. These they're just like changing the emissions today. of Shell, which like it's like a no peeing section in a pool. Like that doesn't <laughs> exist. I love it. Um, I love it. So, so I, I just have the, the intellectual dishonesty around yeah. the conversation. So again, I wanted to circle back to like the whole, I don't want this to sound like we're, we're trying to hammer all these things. It's the intellectual inconsistency of the same people arguing that we can't do oil and gas, have three cars and live in Minnesota right. where it's minus 30. And, and the most efficient by the way is a natural gas furnace. Because burning electricity to make heat in your house from an electric is just a waste product where you can have 95% efficient f furnaces that can heat your home with natural gas. So if you want to live in Minnesota, that's what you need. You don't need wind and you don't need solar. You need natural gas. If they're true, if they really care, and on that same thread, just as we talked about, there's emergent economies around the world, they should be supporting us to drill more and ship our cleaner more abundant energy overseas. We should be a net, we should be the exporter of oil and gas to all the countries instead of them burning down trees and using coal. If they really truly cared about the environment, that's yeah. where they should be leaning toward Europe. us doing a better job because our energy, we support freedom and liberty instead of some of the, our competitors around the globe, Russia and the Middle East. So I would push back on you a little bit on that. Yeah. And, and the reason I push back is because simply we don't have the inventory for oil yeah. left in the United States. And so, so the thing that investors forget is that we are a, in 10,000 acres, you have a hundred sticks. Once those hundred sticks are gone, they're gone. We have and gas. We have a yeah. tremendous LNG, amount of LNG natural gas. But is what we need to be building all over the coast one, and in Oklahoma. Natural gas is the fuel of the future. Yep. But us exporting all of our resources elsewhere, given our population demand, I mean, we're just not Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, their entire economy is oil because it's the, the resource they have. Yep. And they're developing solar because they happen to have a F ton of sun and a whole bunch of sand. And so, like, it, it, this country is wealthy not because of our politics. Our politics are successful because of our wealth, and our wealth is generated off the natural, natural resources, resources that our country has. Yep. And so what's crazy to me is that we're turning away from the thing that generated wealth as a country, and we think that we're going to be a service economy. We're not a service. We, mm -hmm. we need to produce shit at yep. some point. Mm -hmm. Look at, I mean, hey, one of our co-hosts, Ken Lavin, he just moved up to, I, didn't, I had no idea until he moved up there. That Ken day. moved? Yeah, uh, Mertz Manufacturing is in Ponca City. Okay. Huge manufacturing company. Had no clue they were even in Oklahoma. And we don't even promote what we do with that facility. I mean, you would think that we would be on the rooftop shouting what we can do here in Oklahoma mm -hmm. with our resources, and we mm -hmm. never do. Like, we, we're, we're, I mean, I'm not going to knock anybody in particular, but we have call centers. You know, if they, if they made all of Oklahoma call centers, I think some of those guys would be happy. <laughs> like, oh my well, gosh, we need to make stuff. You know, I, I agree with making stuff, but you know, answering Jeremiah, your question. And I want to keep anybody who's listening to this, a couple points that have from previous discussion. One, we have yet to move to a new fuel because we've run out of another fuel. Yes. Oil and gas is scarce. It's non-renewable unless you have hundreds of millions of years. Um, but we we're, no society has ever switched to a new fuel because they've run out of the previous one. That's not going to happen in this case either. Um, so, so there's some perspective there. Going back to a previous thing before answering your question, Jeremiah, a little bit more, you know, I'm going to answer it pretty boldly maybe because uh, I put it out in 2019 and everybody called me crazy, is that for those listening, and, and you've heard a lot of different things around the ERCOT failure, I, I want to give you some perspective on what one side versus the other is arguing. 
and why. So the people that say that, that it was not a failure of solar and wind, really wind, uh, in Texas, their argument is that ERCOT was not relying upon the 30.1 meg, uh, megawatts, gigawatts, gigawatts installed, sorry, gigawatts installed in Texas. They were only relying and modeling six. So already you have a massive amount of capacity that nobody's using and relying upon. And their, their answer is, well, out of the six that ERCOT was going to rely on, we got down to a trough of 600 megawatts. So 600 divided by six, right, is not a huge failure rate. By comparison the, to natural gas's failure, which was at the end of the day, 30 megawatts or gigawatts. 30,000 megawatts. Yeah, so 30 gigawatts. Yeah. And so the failure in, as an overall number of thermal energies, primarily natural gas, was much more devastating. That's their argument. But in reality, I think that there, it's really an admission of one thing. That you can't, and Jesse Jenkins from Cambridge, or not Cambridge, Princeton University's, uh, you know, think tank there, he, he came up with the best term I've heard with regard to this situation. Wind is reliably unreliable. And so you have 30.1 gigawatts built. You're only going to rely on six. What does that tell you about the fuel? So I wanted to give some, I know we, we've been long past that, but I wanted to give that perspective to anybody listening that couldn't quite figure out why, what everybody was arguing about on either side, and that's really it. What are you going to rely upon versus what failed? And that's really the, the crux of the entire argument between the two sides. And Jeremiah, to answer your question, sorry, I'm loading up here, is, is there a future for oil and gas? And so that, that argument that I placed forth in 2019, I'm going to walk through very quickly. Effective decline rate on horizontal wells is much higher than anybody's willing to admit. Mm -hmm. B factor is much lower than anybody appreciated. D men, no engineers talking about because on a discounted cash flow, nobody cares. But when it comes down to actual barrels, it matters. When it comes down to actual gas, even it matters. Um, few ever correlated higher IP to higher decline rate. Base declines are higher than most, most admit. Capital has fled the industry and little of it will come back. ESG pressure is here to stay, mm -hmm. it's not going anywhere. Global markets continue their demand rush. The more efficient we become, the more energy we use. And the amount of energy that this globe is about to consume is absurd. Um, so when you look at all of that in its entirety, there is a massive fundamental reason to be very bullish on oil and natural gas. Prices. Yeah. And I, I, called, for, uh, my I called for $150 oil in 2019 by 2025. And I also call for $4 sustained gas in 2019 by 2025. And we're basically at it right now. So sustained is, no, sustained is the that, key, right? No. And, and that is going to be the admission of the left admitting that you can't fuel society without a clean fuel. It's the only clean fuel option that can be deployed more quickly than nuclear, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to be forced to admit that. The Democrats in the United States finally, for the first time since 1971, added nuclear back to their platform. That to me is also another admission that wind and solar are too energy disparate to handle mm -hmm. the fuel supply. So, but does that mean that people are going to buy BHP? No. That's going to require a private entity that's rich as can be. Yeah, a private entity uh, because Sorry for being the capital there. is going to be very difficult going forward because of the ESG and all that malarkey. All, all the oil and gas companies should be private. It's the reality. I mean, the only reason the public market exists is it's legalized gambling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when you look at the when you look at the valuations of Airbnb, Uber, Tesla, Google, and pick your thing, <laughs> I mean, what happened to Yahoo when Google came? It went to zero. What happened to Ask Jeeves when Yahoo came? It went to zero. What happened to Pets.com? It went to zero. Everything at the core will go back Getting to zero. But that. but but the 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 bankers and the equity providers want to have an exit. Now the reality is, if we're looking at oil and gas right now, and I've said this for a long time, we should shrug. And I'm glad prices are higher. Shrug. And shrug. so, so to me, a hundred as much cash flow as is possible should be deployed to buying back the debt of publicly traded oil companies, so that they are a hundred percent equity, zero debt. But he's and not then, saying don't invest in oil and gas. He's just saying don't invest in the stock. Go out yeah, and I mean, invest in the company. And I mean, this will never. I mean, people because because if you just well. if you put you, cash, you invest in the well. If you put cash in your bank, it does nothing. So everyone goes mm -hmm. to go get money and the stock market's the easiest, most liquid way to go. But if I were the CEO of Exxon, I would pay down 100% of my debt. I would continue to buy as many companies as I could with my equity. And once I had zero debt, I would start buying back all my stock until I was private. 
Man, that sounds easy, but paying down debt alone is difficult because all we've done is burn. Oh capital. yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, and and I, I said I said this, you know, going into coronavirus, you know, the reason I was long the companies I was, but but fundamentally short. Ninety five percent of companies at the beginning of twenty twenty were overvalued, and not oh, just hell. and not just overvalued by a little, by a lot. Still, now a hundred percent. Yeah, like, the bond buying and everything. You else know, is, I, the, it's the, they're overvalued. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Every there's no oil and gas company that trades but below its net asset in. value. I mean, all the all the reports say that everybody's made money. Be, because everyone. I mean, again, this is a flow. You talked about transitory. Mm-hmm. Is is transitory capital can make money, and and for sure, oil and gas companies have traded up. And if oil goes to eighty, it should trade up. But at the fundamental core, there's only a hundred sticks you can drill in a thousand in ten thousand acres. And once those sticks are gone, we can't make cigarettes like Philip Morris. Mm-hmm. You can make billions and billions of cigarettes, and it never stops. At Google, there's always data to sell. But but in our in our industry we run out of sticks, and when you run a fundamental NAV value on these companies, they're all overvalued unless you use substantially higher oil and gas prices. Let me ask you this: Or we get better at pulling out those natural resources because those sticks aren't getting out, but you know a few percentage of what's down. One hundred percent. And and the analogy I use is Coca Cola. Everyone's seen a Coca Cola can or bottle. If you shake it up and open it. The, the solution gas drive of the CO2 expansion pushes 10% of the Coke out without any extra effort. And that's what we get. That's that what we get. Epic. But then example. when you, and then secondary recovery is turning it over yeah. and dumping it in your mouth and adding bourbon. But um, for those listening, that is true brilliance yeah, in explanation. Really if, if you don't understand how brilliant that was, I'm sorry, but it is. Well, that I, is a wonderful. You are I used to, brilliant I used to, man. I used to express, that is wonderful. Uh, when I people ask what fracking was, I'd be like getting the Capri Sun and blowing. <laughs> and and that was the same. That is better. That is much but better. And, and, so, and, 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 it, and it goes in because I can say, well, and if I have one straw or two straws or three straws in the same Coke, it doesn't matter. What what matters is how fast I can yeah. suck it out. Yeah, the velocity. And so, so where we're at until oil prices are higher, the the gravity drainage that will that will allow us to get higher percentage requires 100 or 150 dollar oil so now i don't disagree with you we've never run out of a thing because if oil was 150 fundamentally we would start injecting natural gas and reswelling the oil and then we would be able to handle more breakthrough because the economics are there well in a 70 dollar world we can't let let me ask this question because i foresee this happening and it plays to China as well. If I'm China, I'm trying to effectuate this. If I'm, uh, China I'm has trying a thousand to, rigs running right now. They're learning you, how to drill wells. They may not need us sometime. If if oil goes to 150, which I fully believe will occur because of scarcity of supply, it's not a demand problem. It's a supply problem, as we just walked through. But once oil hits 150, I think that the left in this country wants that to occur as well. That plays right into their hands for exerting more government control over this specific industry because the, the argument becomes this, and I'm curious your thoughts. Oil's 150. Now, wind and solar are more competitive for power than oil is in the transportation segment. This is proof that these are bad guys. They're reaping in record profits on your back while, while we have better, more plentiful, cheaper resources that you can power your vehicles with. What a crock of crap. I, I just, I mean, can, on the politics, I just don't, I mean, left, You don't think right. we'll use that? Yeah. I mean, of course. I'm using it just no, as no, a but, I mean, but people, people are going to use whatever the hell they're going to use to push the narrative that they're going to push. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? And, and we know that Google and Facebook and others and, and the employees of Silicon Valley and New York banks have contributed to the Democratic Party because fundamentally there are a segment of the population who are more collectivist than individualist. And right now, because we had a president from 2016 to 20 that galvanized the collectivists, and especially with the response to coronavirus being so individualist, and if he had just been able to communicate just a little bit better, we would have been able to be in a better place. But so politics is always going to swing, and you're trying to win elections. I I don't, the carbon thing is just politicians have been fed a line by the companies that want to make money. Mm-hmm. And and they want to see capital spent to replace the grid, not enhance the grid. And that until those trillions of dollars are made by somebody, you know that's going to be the narrative. So is the left actively going to use one hundred and fifty dollars oil to push a narrative? Of course, you know I'm going to use the fact that I'm fat to push like you know <laughs> like cold whatever the cold stuff that make you know they beat Cry your up. stomach with the thing and they lose weight and I'd lose weight and I'd go on and tell everyone about it. Like <laughs> we 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 push narratives. It's just what we do. So I'm I'm less. This is less a left and right. This is more, uh, I just think pe- some people are just wrong and are delusional because they're not looking at the data, which is why I always talk about coronavirus, because the data is clear and no one is paying attention. 
He wrote a book on that, by the way. What the bleep is wrong with people? That's a great book. Thank I appreciate that. that. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you, if you haven't bought Dave's book, uh, go get it. Yeah, you got two books, right? Uh, so I'm working on the second book. The second book is oh. going to be called Jobs in America, How Trillion Dollar Companies Built Their their uh, Business on the Back of Minimum Wage Employees. Oh, yeah. And so my first job at that was Uber. Um, Hitachi Ventara is not part of the book. No. Um, it's a different thing. A but I, I do want to work at uh, Whole Foods and Amazon Warehouse and McDonald's and Starbucks as sort of like the starting points. Um, and just see, like, is the American dream alive? You would think, again, this is just, uh, it's a willful dream. If I showed up in the Amazon warehouse and worked hard for 12 hours, you would think that in, a boss would be like, hey, tell me your story. And say, well, you know, I'm an engineer. I have two MBAs. I ran a business, sold a business, wrote a book, you know, kind of do some things. You would think if the American dream was alive, they would say, I don't really know that working on the floor of the warehouse is the right place for you. Let's put you in the management training program or the HR or whatever. And, and so, so I just want to like, it's really and truly the, this, the point of the second book is, is the American dream alive? It's pacified. I'll tell it. you, it's pacified by a fucking phone and social media, <laughs> your ability to escape your reality. Mm. Yeah. So I've mm-hmm. always said it and I'm, I'm an opportunist when it comes to left or right. I don't, I don't give a shit which side I've, uh, because they both typically help you if you're willing to look at it that mm-hmm. way. Right. Policy, tax policy always helps those that have, but like I, I, the whole thing is absurd. People just don't care anymore. Once you get that phone, your day to day sucks. But you give just a, just enough credit or whatever. It's where they can buy that cell phone. Like you you can payment plan a cell phone. You know everything. Eight hundred dollars cell phone. Mm-hmm. Society is just numb anymore. They just want to click the headlines and scroll and live vicariously online as a different person that's happy. It's the only way twenty twenty happens. Mm-hmm. If if we were locked in our houses and didn't have social media. Like oh, Misty would have killed me. people would people would like literally <laughs> so go crazy. Bad. So I I you totally know, agree with you. I totally agree. It's with horrible you. though. No, the American dream's dead. Uh, I would I would argue. Yeah, if yeah, rest in peace. You're willing I'm to call way it. more positive than that. You're hey, willing American to call it. Huh? Yeah. It's a lot more difficult to, to become uh, one that has than yeah. what it used to be. No, I'm but it, it is super difficult because it's easy to get in the mundane and there's just not That's as much. Not growth. why the, the world is traveling. If you are motivated, you will still succeed. But it's just it's more difficult to stay motivated than what it used to be. It's easy to be pacified. I've gotten more motivated the older i get i just man i i, I love you I, I well and then what is the american dream right is it to be really wealthy or is it to be happy i everyone's got a different Everybody's idea got a different that. american dream. i mean if you guys have seen boiler room whoever says the money doesn't make you rich look at this smile money's ear good. to ear you know yeah. it's ferrari i mean and, and i think that that would be how i'd close this podcast in terms of your exact point right like so i was very very fortunate we were very blessed with timing you know, you obviously have to have skill and you have to be in the right place and you had to have done a lot of things over my career that, that got us there. future self. But, but the luck, luck played a huge role and we sold our company at exactly the right time. Yeah. And when I, I was retired for 18 months and obviously coronavirus like has impacted everyone in terms of your relationships with your friends. You might have seen the world differently. Like it wasn't as different before, but now you, the collectivism versus individualism has broken friendships. They've broken marriages. It's broken yeah. families. It's broken all these things. But after being retired for 18 months and it doesn't, money doesn't make you happy. It makes things more comfortable what makes you what makes it possible to be alive is purpose and so so to me the reason I went back to work was because I needed purpose and I love the hot take of the day I love interacting with people but at the end of the day and I wrote this in the book revenue equals good and I was not monetizing the hot take of the day I was writing because it was important to me to share stuff and that's why whenever people like troll me and they're like hey you're talking about COVID stay in your lane oil and gas guy and I said just give me your credit card information and I will refund your subscription in full because nobody pays for it it's just like it's just I'm a guy you can block me easily but the lack of purpose and so that's why I love starting this new career doing IT. I love that I can still be in oil and gas, but but I feel like a college kid again. I'll and tell you, all three of us awesome. are in a point of inflection then, huh? And I, I pondered that on a regular basis. Like, why do I do what I do every day? Like, I could have enough mm-hmm. to, to live okay, so why do I keep pushing further? Mm-hmm. It, it is such a, a quandary that I battle every day. What is the purpose of But But it doesn't matter what the specific purpose is. You have to have a purpose. And so to me, even, it, it's just... Yeah, you can retire, and and if you like love reading books and love volunteering or love doing things with your time, whatever that is, then that is purpose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to make money. For me, I could still help oil and gas companies be better and use my mind to do that, and I can do it through an IT, OT, data convergence. Yeah, I'm not the SCP guy, but we have thousands of people who are, and so it's like, how can I help solve a problem? I want to lower my costs, and then I can go help that, and so that gives me purpose for now. What does Hitachi make? What do you guys? What are you guys doing? So, so we do digital solutions and digital infrastructure. What do you guys do? So, 
So, so for example, if you, okay, so <laughs> if you <laughs> selling ideas, big you know, ideas. so so for example, if you're on SAP and you have a whole bunch of employees internally that are managing it, and you don't want to manage the patch the 24/7, etc., we have a team that can do the managed services of the entire SAP or Oracle, and you can outsource that. Mm-hmm. If you need to build some sort of Power BI app to be able to pull in a whole bunch of data and integrate everything and be able to visualize it better, we can build that. If you want uh, video technology on all of your your well sites to monitor emissions or monitor safety or monitoring the comings and goings of people, whether it's LIDAR or S, you know, uh, video stuff, we can do that. Um, so broadly speaking, and if you want to move from on-prem storage to the cloud, and which again is all about cost, you know, oil and gas companies aren't the best at storing their data. Amazon built an entire company. Who is? If you so like. Amazon, Google, and, and Microsoft. I mean, who got a... You've had a ton of major people that have been hacked recently. Well, on the side, so cybersecurity is different, but but in terms of like Amazon, when you think about what Amazon built, Amazon needed to know the different prices of the different goods and have thousands of retailers and thousands of buyers and figure out exactly how to get from point A to point B. So they have more digital, like more warehouses of storage. That's the cloud. That's where it started and everyone else chased it. And so should you as an oil and gas company keep all your data on-prem and keep like employees managing all that or can you outsource that to an amazon now again being realistic amazon shut off parlor mm-hmm. yes. right and so so Fair there enough. are problems in the oil and gas space going cloud because you need to have assurance that you're not going to get shut off right. but this is where i believe in capitalism if you're paying real money and parlor really wasn't but the people who were paying really money real money to amazon was twitter facebook apple Google, like all these guys, there's a top 10. They spend so much money. So parlor doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you're spending enough money, guys aren't going to shut you off. Awesome. Follow the money. Follow the money. That's Follow all the money. money. Hey, the money follows all the way to the Talking Energy Show. Guys, I just Thank wanted you. to uh, get this wrapped up and let you get, he's got a couple meetings to go to, but uh, our purpose is to highlight amazing members of this oil and gas network. And you're one of them. Robert, you're one of them. Jeremiah, I'm working on it. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Robert, did you have anything else before yeah. we close out? Plug, plug something for you. Plug somebody something, some cause. What are you up to? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, leave, it with, I'll leave it with this. And <laughs> the globe is warming. Warm air carries more moisture than cold air. More moisture means more clouds. More clouds means less sunny days. I'm bullish on solar. Love you. <laughs> this is why he's in here, everybody. Jeremiah, what do you want to plug? I got nothing, man. I'm just glad you guys came in. No, appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Thanks for hosting. Thank you guys. It's good to be on the first in. pod with you, by the way. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm so happy sure. you came on this show. No, I, I appreciate it. And, and I, gotta, fish, I love Oklahoma City. We love you. I Come you back hear that? Anytime. You hear that? Anytime you're in town, I bet you he says that. He had to look at his phone when he remembered what city it was in. No, he says that everywhere he's at. We love you too, buddy. I just want you to come in. Anytime you're in town, just, man, this desk is yours. Love it. You can you can bring anybody. I mean, you know a lot of cool people. Maybe you. Hey, ask Clay to come into our <laughs> studio. He keeps he keeps avoiding us. Yeah, there's a lot of great people in Oklahoma. That's it, everybody. Thank you guys. Take care. God bless. Tune in next time. Bye bye.